you know, having worked on this issue for a while, you know, the real action, the real, you know, anyone listening now, please, you know, if, 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 if you only hear one thing, hear this, is, is the real value of advocacy and effort where you get the biggest return on investment is in city councils and is in building those relationships with your state lawmakers. Because so many times I've had conversations with marijuana reform supporters and they tell me, they'll tell me about their senators, they'll tell me about their governor, they'll, 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 they'll complain about the president, whoever he is. And, um, but they don't know who their city council person is. They don't know who their state representative is. And if they had only spent a few hours um, a year going and meeting these people, you know, telling them their story, telling them why they support reform, then you know what? There, there's a very high likelihood that they could have changed their minds. Where they're not going to change, they as an individual are not going are not likely to change Joe Biden's mind, right? Yeah. back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA, from ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. In this week's episode, I'm joined by someone I met while lobbying in Washington, D.C. Justin Streckel is an experienced organizer and advocate. His wide-ranging policy reform expertise includes issues such as cannabis, campaign finance, and tax and wage fairness. From 2016 to 2021, Justin was a federal lobbyist for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, or NORML, the nation's largest and longest-running marijuana advocacy group. Prior to joining Normal, Justin served as a legislative aide in the Virginia State Senate, where he drafted the first cannabis reform legislation introduced in that chamber and was the precursor to the Commonwealth legalizing cannabis in 2021. In addition to his policy reform efforts, Justin has more than a decade of electoral campaign experience managing federal, state, and local races across the country. Let's meet Justin and hear about what he is up to now. Justin, and thanks for joining me here on Grant's Place. Thank you so very much uh, for having me, Chris. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Uh, we first met in D.C. in 2019 at the National Normal Conference and Lobby Day uh, that whole weekend. Uh, you were the lobbyist for Normal at that time, correct? I was, yes. And that 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 was the last uh, that was the last lobby day and conference we had organized before the world shut down. Yeah. Uh, you recently left that position at Normal. Uh, tell us why. I did. Um, well, you know, I I joined the organization in late 2016, uh, and you know, was I, I actually accepted the job offer in October. 
so I was thinking that it was going to be a very different political climate than than the one we actually saw. And you know, after five years of, of giving it my all and and working very very long hours, uh, it, it was time for me to to move on. During the pandemic, I actually moved back to to my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and you know, I think as as the world opens up, uh, you know, I'm going to continue my my national cannabis advocacy work. I set up a new organization, um, but you know, it, it was it was time for me to move on. So since then. Uh, Morgan Fox has taken taken the role as normal political director and uh, still in regular communication with him and, and helping him get his feet under him. Okay, cool deal. I figured you were still engaged uh, with the with yeah. the organization. Kind of hard to let go of that 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 those ties are pretty strong. Once oh you've yeah. Been there a while. Just before this conversation, I was on the phone with uh, some of the chapter leaders uh, from from one of the locals that I helped. Uh, it was actually Arizona Normal. And, uh, you know, we, during the pandemic in 2020, we, we were organizing online phone banks and, and we would recruit, you know, 30 people to hop on the phones and we were running auto dialers together. We were just reminiscing about that and talking about what they're working on now. And, and it's, you know, it's still really inspirational to hear what, what some amazing people are working on all around the country. Sure, sure. So you talk about your your new endeavor. You you started a new pack, haven't you? I did. Uh, it is called Better Organizing to Win Legalization Pack or Bull Pack. And okay. you know, what, during my tenure at Normal, the the organization chose uh, to not utilize its political action committee. It has one, but it just it wasn't raising any money into it. Um, mm -hmm. And my view. You know, looking at the looking at the landscape for for national cannabis advocacy efforts, there were no advocacy packs that were really engaged. So I thought that would be a, a good use of of my my skills and time, uh, and and you know, and my political inclinations. You know, personally, I'm I'm a relatively left of center person, and uh, while at normal, I felt it incumbent to su suppress my views on a wide variety of issues through my professional uh, endeavors. But with the new pack, I, I hope to better embrace a lot of the uh, progressive changes that are happening around the country and work to build alliances with organizations and, and candidates for office that don't list cannabis reform as their top priority or even maybe even a top three priority, but that they're willing to put in their effort to support legalization as well um, and, and to better build those bonds. So that way, once we get into those last minute negotiations on Capitol Hill, uh, whenever that be, be may, may be this year, probably not this year, uh, but you know, in a future Congress, that these other organizations that maybe focus on on more general progressive issues or or focus on you know a, a wide range of things that they will by then have a better understanding of how marijuana policy works so that way they'll lend their support to increase the likelihood that in federal reform we see uh comprehensive drug testing reform comprehensive uh addressing of uh, labor issues. I've been working a lot with unions uh, to make sure that cannabis workers aren't classified as agricultural workers, because if they are, 
uh, then they won't be subject to protections under the Fair Labor Standards Act, i.e. they'll be exempt from minimum wage laws, you know, things like that. Uh, so, you know, we really want to make sure that that these groups that, that share these other goals, expungement and community reinvestment for impacted individuals, uh, we really want to make sure that those stay in whatever final package uh, is, is negotiated. And my fear is that there are a lot of interests now building power and steam in Washington, D.C. that don't share those values um, that when we get into those last minute negotiations and, and you know, you're you, you've seen how quickly bills can change at the last minute. You know, we want I want to build the vanguard that that can that can protect those those civil liberties and civil rights and, and economic justice and restorative justice provisions that, yeah. you know, ideal lot, you know, many much overlap with what normal fights for but it's not at the core of normal's mission. So I, I think my new endeavor kind of better suits my my efforts. Yeah, so, so part of the mission is to just, uh, as you, you, know, you basically have stated it, I've seen on Twitter, some of your Twitter posts and stuff, uh, the mission is to replace the prohibitionists, so to speak, correct? Yes, absolutely. We, there, there has not been a concerted political effort for, for members of Congress uh, at the national level to defeat prohibitionists. And, and it's my hope that the, the theory of the case with Bullpack is we're going to, to build a, a large following relatively quickly by doing partnership campaigns with a number of other groups. And already in just three weeks, we've recruited over 35,000 people onto our email list. And, and through grassroots fundraising and, and, and a little bit of, of traditional fundraising, we'll raise the resources needed to compete and communicate in uh, targeted races where there's a clear contrast of a prohibitionist on the ballot and a reformer on the ballot. And, and communicate with voters to make sure that they understand that marijuana is on the ballot. Yeah, yeah to, to be successful in, in this type of endeavor, uh, especially where some of the longtime incumbents hold seats, it is going to take some serious funds. Are you gaining much ground in that area yet, or is it too early to tell? So the the way that I'm moderating my expectations here is is we're not focused on direct fundraising right away. Right now, we're working on building the capacity, building the reach, and uh, we'll we'll I'll I'll probably spend all summer raising money and spend it all in, in, in the autumn in the last few weeks before the election. Uh, I've partnered with some, some terrific partners, uh, you know, particularly my, my colleague Craig, uh, who, who's on the board with me, who has a lot of experience in digital organizing. So that way we can make sure we're gonna be targeting voters who may not likely vote if they didn't recognize and they, they weren't aware that comprehensive marijuana reform could be decided, particularly by their Senate race. So we're, I got 10 Senate races on the map that I'm considering for the fall. And depending on where we at, where we're at with resources and where the, you know, just the political climate come the summer, sure. we'll, we'll make a determination of how many states we're going to go in. But, you know, for, you know, having been a federal lobbyist now, 
and, and for over seven years, five of which on, on marijuana policy reform and the, the two before that, I worked on progressive tax policy and campaign finance reform advocacy, uh, trying, trying to make the rich pay, pay their fair share of taxes and <laughs> get them to stop being able to buy elections, if you will. Yeah, nothing uh, wrong with that idea, is there? Oh, uh, but man, it's an uphill climb. Uh, you know, the, you know, since, you know, we, we saw this with the recent voting rights bill vote, uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that the Senate wasn't able to muster enough votes to change the rules away from the 60 vote filibuster. Yeah. So until we can somehow count to 60 or until we, we, we see filibuster reform, uh, there is no pathway to reform. And, and we've yet to see a single Republican senator come out and say, I support removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and implementing a thoughtful regulatory regime that, that protects public health and consumer interests. It's literally <laughs> that simple, too. Yeah. And yet, you know, Mitch McConnell in, in Kentucky <laughs> rules his caucus with an iron fist. He is he is one of the most credit where credit is due. He is one of the most successful caucus leaders that yeah. this country has ever seen. And so infrequently do you ever see senators casting a vote that he was not okay with. And and he, you know, he gets this gleam in his eye when when he hears uh, about people being arrested for marijuana. And and I just, you know, it's we have to change the narrative in the Republican Senate because currently when they think about marijuana and they think about their own political future, the current narrative is, well, marijuana didn't save Cory Gardner, who, who was defeated for reelection last year or in 2018, excuse me, um, in uh, in Colorado. Or, I'm sorry, 2020. Um that is, in my view, the wrong narrative about marijuana and Senate politics, because Cory Gardner was going to lose that seat even if marijuana, you know, the marijuana supporters gave Cory Gardner an extra $50 million. You know, Donald Trump was going to lose Colorado handedly, and, and Cory Gardner was getting pulled down with him. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the narrative in the Senate. So I hope to, with Bullpack, be able to change that narrative. And instead of it being marijuana didn't save Cory Gardner, it'll be marijuana defeated so-and-so. And, and, and if we can shift that context, I can think of five Republican senators who would maybe be willing to vote for a bill to end prohibition. They haven't said it publicly, but um, I think that if, if we're able, and I'm not going to go after any of them, um, you know, but I think if we if we go after a strong prohibitionist like a Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, um, you know, that or if we seek to replace one like Pat Toomey, who's retiring in uh, in, in Pennsylvania um, or, or Rob Portman in, in my home state of Ohio, if we replace them with a reformer like John Fetterman or Tim Ryan or Mandela Barnes. Then, uh, then we'll have successfully been able to change that narrative, and perhaps we'll, you know, we'll 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 see more Republicans 
if only through their own political expediency and political survival come to evolve. Yeah. So uh, from the way you're, you're talking about, you're, you're looking on concentrating on the Senate right now. Yes. Okay. There, there may, there may be a couple house races I uh, that that will will play in, but you know, big picture, you know, the House has already demonstrated that it's willing to vote in favor of ending prohibition through the Moore Act vote in in 2020, sure. and we do see more and more House Republicans coming out. We 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 have two different bills that would end prohibition currently pending, uh, introduced by House Republicans. Um, you know, we, we've seen, we saw six House Republicans vote in favor of the Moore Act. I, I think that there's much more of a willingness in the, in the House. And Kevin McCarthy, the, the House uh, caucus leader, he's, you know, he's a prohibitionist. He, he, yeah. he, he's, not, he's not an ally of ours, for sure. But, you know, he, he has, how you say, a moral flexibility, if you will, that I think that if if we were able to demonstrate that there were was a Senate willing to take on the issue, then he he would be willing to go along with it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I think here in Texas, uh, a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think here in Texas with Governor Abbott, if we could get a bill to his desk, I think he would sign it because number one, he likes taking credit for things. Yes, he does. You know, uh, and number two, he signed every bill that we've gotten to his desk so far. Yeah. Our big roadblock here is the lieutenant governor with Dan Patrick. Yes. And you Dan know. Patrick, hooey, he really does not like people who consume cannabis. You know, I'll, I'll be interested to see in Texas how uh, Beto O'Rourke chooses to talk about marijuana policy on his campaign for governor and and how Governor Abbott will respond to it. Because, you know, Beto O'Rourke, when he first ran for El Paso City Council, he 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 talked about his support for marijuana policy reform. And El Paso Normal at the time endorsed him. And and when he was congressman, he told me that, you know, so the, the handful of normal volunteers who would show up and knock doors with him were the reason he got elected. Now, you know, as politicians speak, so I'll, I'll, I'll assume much of that's blowing up my, you know, blowing up my skirt. But sure. Um, but he was always willing to say yes when we made asks of him. He introduced the bills we asked him to. He showed up. You know, we, we had uh, Jax Finkel, the director of Texas Normal, come to D.C. and moderate a conversation with Beto and Earl Blumenauer and then two Republican members of Congress, then Tom Garrett. Well, Unfortunately, neither of them are still there, but Tom Garrett and Justin Amash, you know, Beta was always up to be an ally. And and I'm very curious how much, how front and center he talks about marijuana in the campaign and how, how the governor is going to respond. I think yeah. it's a real opportunity for you guys. And, and it could be done in a very constructive, positive way. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see over the next several months how yeah. that unfolds, uh, yeah. for sure. But you know as well as I do. Uh, part of unseating someone is finding the right and electable candidates to run yeah. against them. Uh, you know, how do you plan to do this while circumventing all the uh, partisan rhetoric of today's politics? You know, a lot of people they they vote simply based on a letter or a color. Yeah, 
And 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 unfortunately, you know, that's that's the sad reality. I don't expect the issue of marijuana policy reform to to somehow awaken this this collective unconscious and and getting everybody singing kumbaya, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do expect to to support a, a handful of Republicans who who are running for re-election and, and um, in their campaigns. And should we be concerned about them being defeated, you know, maybe substantively support them. Um, but you know, as far as candidate recruitment and identification, you know, prior to moving to Washington D.C. and engaging in federal policy, I, I worked on campaigns for ten years. And I've worked on campaigns from managing a city council race in in New York City, um, in in, in lower Manhattan, to managing a congressional race in the Inland Empire in the desert of California, and and 11 states in between, right? And I've worked in red areas and blue areas, but mostly red areas. and and I think that Merrill, there is an opportunity. There's a big enough of a, of a of a of a segment of the electorate who could be mobilized by this issue. And I'd like to think I have the political chops to not waste the resources of our supporters, throwing good money towards supporting a bad candidate. You know, I'm there. there there's a lot of really earnest people who run for office who have no business running for office. Um, and I and I don't plan to enable them by 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 lighting money on fire um, just because they're willing to say the right thing about marijuana. Sure. You know that that's a lot of it. I think. Also to that point, I, I I think that it's good when we think about the broader American politic. A lot of people, you know, there's all this conversation about identity politics, and and it's usually just cast and discussed in in a narrow way of, you know, Black Lives Matter, gay rights, and 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 and, and abortion rights, right? Sure. But every single one of us as Americans have political opinions, and every single one of us as Americans have those opinions based on who we are. We are all practitioners of identity politics. Sure. And, and uh, when we look at, at races that, that have happened in the last couple of years, you know, I, I like to point out to people, there's a very good po- argument to be made, and I'm not saying I'm 100% correct in this, but I can make a really good argument that the marijuana legalization effort in Arizona in 2020 helped put Joe Biden over the top to win the state. Uh, where we see who was mobilized to vote to go vote for marijuana, and then they happened to cast a vote in the presidential race. And when they looked at their options, you know, you know, in my view, they saw one person who gave them quite a bit of concern being the president, and the other person is like, eh, I don't really like that guy, but like he's not the other guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I say it all the time in this last presidential election, anyway. Um, People didn't vote for Joe Biden. They voted against Donald Trump. But full full disclosure, you know, I'm a long wing Democratic political campaigner. But in in 2016, I was a delegate for Senator Sanders to the DNC. And and I was supporting him again in 2020. And I I was very sad to see that uh, that Joe Biden prevailed in the nomination for for a number of reasons, cannabis included. Um, Yeah. 
But, you know, I, I, I do, you know, having worked on this issue for a while, you know, the real action, the real, you know, anyone listening now, please, you know, if, 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 if you only hear one thing, hear this, is, is the real value of advocacy and effort where you get the biggest return on investment is in city councils and is in building those relationships with your state lawmakers because so many times I've had conversations with marijuana reform supporters and they tell me, they'll tell me about their senators, they'll tell me about their governor, they'll, 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 they'll complain about the president, whoever he is, and, um, but they don't know who their city council person is, they don't know who their state representative is, and if they'd only spent a few hours um, a year going and meeting these people, you know, telling them their story, telling them why they support reform, then you know what? There, there's a very high likelihood that they could have changed their minds. Where they're not going to change, they as an individual are not going are not likely to change Joe Biden's mind, right? Yeah. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey y'all. Are you enjoying the guests and content Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know he does this all on his own? No production team, and no producers. Just Gramps. If you like the show, please think about becoming a monthly supporter. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. You would be surprised at how much that can help. Just follow the link in the show description where it says support this podcast here. And as always, Gramps thanks you for listening, and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things cannabis and cannabis law reform, along with anything else that piques public interests. So I gotta ask you, just out of, out of curiosity, how many prohibitionists would you say are in the House and the Senate? Just well, just a wild guess. I mean, I know you probably don't know exact numbers, but you probably got a better idea than anybody else right now. Yeah, you know, I I think I think that the vote was pretty indicative when we had the Moore Act. Ninety ninety two percent of I'm sorry, 97 percent of the Democrats who voted voted for the Moore Act and and three percent voted against it. On the Republican side, 97 percent of Republicans voted against it. Three percent of them voted for it. Right. Um, In the U.S. Senate, I would say with earnest and sincerity, two of the 50 Democratic senators are prohibitionists. Um, and, and 40 of them are reformers and eight of them are the mushy middle. Um, on the Republican side, I would say two of them are reformers, five or six of them are mushy middle. And then, and then the rest of them are prohibitionists. You know, I, I just got connected with a candidate for, for Senate in Oklahoma, who's running again, who's running to take on, um, Oh goodness, uh, Senator Lankford, and Senator Lankford hates people who smoke marijuana so much that in 2018 he cut videos and and spent his campaign money to broadcast those videos throughout the state of Oklahoma, 
to to tell his constituents to vote no on the medical program. And today, less than four years later, Oklahoma has the highest percentage of medical marijuana patient card holders. One in 11 Oklahoma residents has a medical marijuana card. One in 11, right? So if, you know, so if, if someone running against Langford can get, you know, let, let, let's, you know, people I have found for the most part, uh, marijuana consumption is pretty nonpartisan, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. May, maybe people on the left smoke a, by a couple of percentage points higher than people on the right, but it's a pretty bipartisan enjoyment or, or relief. Um, so if we can get 70% of that, of that 11% to say, you know what, 50% of them are already going to vote against them. 50% of them are already going to vote or are already leaning Republican. But if we can say, Hey, you need to understand that this man literally went out of his way to deny your personal freedom. He does not deserve to represent you. And they're willing to just this one time, just this one time, pull for pull for the other person that you know they can vote for whoever they want next time but like langford's got to go and uh you know i, yeah. I think having those kind of conversations I, I think is very important you know i'm i'm uh you said full disclosure on yourself earlier so i'll just say full disclosure on myself i'm i'm 100 what i call an independent independent voter mm-hmm. uh, because I don't vote for independent candidates. I vote for any and all candidates. Yeah. I don't care what party you're from. I, I want to know what you're going to do for me. And I spend the time because you can't pay attention to what their campaign anymore. You know, yeah. even the little mailers anymore used to have, you know, lists of what they stand for and stuff. Now it's all the accusations about their opponent. I don't want to see that crap. Yeah. I want to know what you're going to do for me. Right. But yeah. I vote for I vote for Democrats. I vote for Republicans. I vote for um, you know I just voted in the Republican primary because there were some races here in Texas that I wanted to see go a certain way. Yeah, I don't know if my vote made a difference or not, but I tried. Right. At any rate, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, if there's somebody that is constantly against your best interest, how can you? continue to vote for them based on party affiliation or a letter by their name, as my dad would say, my dad's a staunch Republican and he's, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to vote Republican no matter what, mm-hmm. right? The, the, you know that mentality, I'm sure you've run into it a lot, <clears throat> but uh, I, I don't understand why, why people can't get it through their head that you can cross that party line for one term. Because yeah. nobody, no one person, especially in Congress, mm-hmm. no one person is going to make that much difference in one term yep. that can't be reversed as soon as mm-hmm. you get them out and get somebody else in there just as easily. Yeah. Now, yeah. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll share, if we can continue on this partisan blinder riff. <laughs> you know, I, I once interviewed to work on a campaign, and, and I thought I had it in the bag, but they they ran my voting records and they found that I had voted in the Republican primary in 2012 and they used that as a justification to not hire me. And I remember being so 
like, you know, I I wanted to vote in the Republican primary that year because, you know, there, there was no contested race that I had I had a, a horse in uh, then in the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, I'm like, I want to go vote for Ron Paul. I don't agree with everything he stands for. I don't agree with everything he says, but I'd rather have Ron Paul run against Barack Obama. I think it'd be a much more honest national discourse. We'd have much more substantive, thoughtful debates than if it was Newt Gingrich at the time, because Newt Gingrich was leading in the polls at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and then ultimately Romney came back, but um you know, it's just it's it's so short sighted and and our found you know it's so I, I think ultimately like to be able to get to sixty votes in the Senate, we we need to rock the boat in, in the Republican caucus because the filibuster, I don't I don't believe the filibuster is going anywhere. I don't believe the Senate is going anywhere. And mm-hmm. and the only way that I can the, the best way that I can envision in in changing the Republican Senate caucus's worldview on marijuana is to make it a threat to their political future, that yeah. it is time to evolve or be defeated. And, and I, you know, I'm looking forward, you know, to, to, to trying to prove that theory this fall. Yeah. I mean, I've said that for, for ages, you know, I commend the idea. Because uh, you can only change politics in the u.s if we change the politicians on a regular basis in my opinion Uh, it's just i i i I don't see it any other way and i've been uh i i I don't know the proper way to say it or not i've been a student of politics government economics political parties etc since the early age of 10 Better than 40 years, that's all I did in my spare time was was read up about what was going on in current events, you know, historical events, the, the whole bit. And, you know, about 40% of that was formal study. About 60% of it was just stuff on my own, right? But uh, it started from an argument between my dad and I. Actually, I just interjected my 10-year-old self into a conversation between my parents and got told I was a stupid little kid and needed to shut up and stay out of it. But what my statement was, was it doesn't matter anymore what the people want because big business runs our government. And this was, I said this in the 70s, you know, and that's never more true than it is today in reality. And the only way you're going to stop that major influence from being the major influence that it's been and causing in my opinion being the main number one cause of the gridlock today that we have at the federal level uh and you may correct me if i'm wrong but that influence is the reason for the major gridlock it's the gordian knot yeah now that's that yeah like i um you're you're absolutely right you know it's it is wild to me how, you know, the, the best story, if, if, if I can't share a story, um, from, from a former member of Congress that I worked with when I was still working on campaign finance reform, uh, his name was Richard Sweat, I kid you not, um, and uh, he, he was a member of Congress in New Hampshire, and he was an architect, and he got a position on the Appropriations Committee when, when he got elected to Congress, and he, 
he was thinking about roads in New Hampshire and the highways and how they can build it better for less money and for less repair time. So he wanted to fund a study about concrete highways compared to asphalt highways. And he okay. talked to some of his colleagues on the on the committee, and he believed that he had the support um, for his amendment to get approved. And, and he had done the whip count that morning, and he, he was walking in there, and everybody was giving him the thumbs up. Uh, right when his amendment came up for a vote, someone whispered in the chairperson's ear, they 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 said that they would address it the next day. They called a recess, and that night, according to former Congressman Sweat, uh, the asphalt lobbyists called up every member on the committee, and then they went back in the next day, and he was the only one who voted for his amendment. <laughs> and you know, it's just it's you know because concrete highways would 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 last longer than asphalt roads, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's. It's the Gordian knot, and uh, you know, cannabis isn't cannabis is not going to solve it, and cannabis policy is not exempt from it, yeah. and that's why I think that, you know, in in a way, why I wanted to start this pack was so that way, because it's not already happening in an advocacy perspective, um, I wanted to to get in there quickly because we already see. Even amongst the cannabis, some of these cannabis companies, they are they are actively lobbying to prevent other entrepreneurs to to get access. We just saw this in Virginia. Yep. There there was effort by by my farm former boss, State Senator Adam Eben, um, who who carried a bill that I vehemently disagreed with that would establish that only three companies could could sell to the adult use market. And that for additional licenses to get issued, it'd have to be a, 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 you know, an incubation system where, you know, the, the bigger companies would, would incubate entrepreneurs. I'm like, that's not how markets work. You're never going to see these big players equip these, 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 these incubators with the tools and resources and tactics needed to overtake them. That's not how, that's not how markets work. Um, but that's what the industry was lobbying very hard for. They wanted to have that three company monopoly. And, you know, we just heard the president of the United States yesterday at the state of the union talking about, we're taking these sanctions against Russian oligarchs. And, and we do have this emerging cannabis oligarchy, if you will, uh, in, in some states. Um, so I hope Texas isn't like that. I hope Texas is more like Oklahoma than Virginia. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a long way to go before we're going to know in Texas, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a, we've made some improvements in 2021 to our medical program. Uh, some of the wording even made it where they could make, I mean, they've got 20 milligram gummies now available, but that's just it. You got gummies and tinctures, nothing else. You know, there's no, no smokables, no edibles, no, nothing like that. Uh, which to me, uh, different things, it works better from different methods of consumption for different things, right? Mm. So we've got to broaden that here. And then we've got to get rid of that stupid THC limit too. Uh, it's it's just crazy. I got to ask you while I got you here, because uh, I always dreamed of being uh, 
in that position that you held of a lobbyist. In fact, there's there's been a while back where I was literally reaching out to companies, cannabis companies, and mm-hmm. trying to get a position put together doing just that. So I got to ask you, what was it like meeting with lawmakers for a living? It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that it was uh, not as glamorous as as many of your listeners might think. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of preparing memos. It was a lot of of talking with staffers who who are the the gatekeepers to the members. It, you know, some of my most successful meetings that I had came up as pickup meetings while I was in between other meetings on Capitol Hill and I was just sitting at the little Dunkin' Donuts down there, you know, on my laptop preparing memos <laughs> and things like that and 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 preparing, you know, talking points for different members um, and staffers who knew me or members who knew me would walk by and they'd be like, oh, have you met Justin? You got to meet Justin. He knows what he's talking about on marijuana. You got to talk to him, you know. I think the most challenging thing that a lot of advocates and activists don't understand about the lobbying process or or maybe just don't fully appreciate is that you're you got to meet them where they are. You know, you and I think about this stuff all the time. All the time. They do not. So you you got to figure out a way to to I don't want to say restrain your your passion, but but to focus it in such a way, and 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 to but before you can really deploy it, you got to understand what your audience is and and how they're going to receive it. Um, so I would I would code switch all of the time, all of the time, and you know if I if I was in a a, a Republican office. You know, I'd be just talking about federalism, and I would never say legalization, would never say the word marijuana. I would talk about ending federal prohibition, respecting the Tenth Amendment. We, you know, we look at all these states that are trying to assert their rights, and, you know, this foolish big government criminalization of of individual freedoms when the states clearly want to chart their own pathway forward in these laboratories of democracy. You know, I would say that kind of shit, right? But that's certainly not going to work when I'm trying to get re- recruit a a more you know to the left member of the Democratic Party who may want to oppose the safe banking act from the left and you know and I got to talk to them about just the 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 you know yes we both acknowledge the the broad systemic racial uh discrimination within the financial sector and you know we can't expect cannabis to undo that and this other you know, you, you got to meet people where they are. And and that took a tremendous amount of mental and emotional energy to do. Right. Because I have very strong opinions about things, right? About a lot of things. You know, I, I since I left normal, I, I finally, you know, I changed my Twitter bio. And uh, back then, I, I, I didn't write anything controversial in my Twitter bio. But now I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I can, I can, I feel more free to let people know that like in my now and then what I used to do, you know, I was an organizer with Occupy Wall Street because I don't trust the big banks and and uh, that wasn't something I felt comfortable doing while I was still at normal because I, I thought it, it it could possibly reflect poorly 
on the activists who I was representing. Sure. And I was constantly thinking, how can I be the best advocate for the normal constituency? And every year, I, you know, I would write, uh, along with Paul Armentano, we'd write this annual membership survey, and we'd pepper in whatever questions that we were just thinking, like, what do our people think about what we should be doing with this? And, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the political ideology, ideological breakdown of normal members is 38% of, 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 of those who filled out the survey identified as progressive or democratic, 33% identified as Republican or conservative, and then the rest of them just checked independent. And if that isn't a reflection on the broader American ideological spectrum, because that it almost perfectly tracks, um, you know, I, I had to keep in mind I was representing people who 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 wore "Make America Great Again" hats. I was representing people who wore "Defund the Police" hats, yep. and. They they have a shared common goal of of ending marijuana criminalization. I mean, also just you know being a professional lobbyist for that time, you know it, it's not like normal was paying me the big bucks or or gave me an expense account. I I was not able to buy the tickets to go to the fundraisers. Um, you know I mentioned earlier normal just didn't utilize its its political action committee. Um, I wasn't able to 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 go to the fancy restaurants all the time. I was always on the hunt for, you know, what's a good dive bar? And my favorite members of Congress correlate with those who go to the dive bars around the Capitol versus the fancy ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was it was it was a it was a tremendous privilege that that I got to hold that position. I I wouldn't trade it for the world. And uh, but you know, it was it was time to move on. Yeah, I could see that. Um, you know, you did it for how long? Five years. Five years. Just, yeah, yeah, I could see that getting getting old after five years, having to play all those different roles. Because <laughs> that's basically what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and having to keep it all separated as you're doing it too, that could that could get monotonous. Yeah. Uh, and and just on that, you know, I, I was a one-person department. Normal has an incredibly small staff, and um, you know, it's 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 not, you know, it's not how I would structure the organization. And uh, but I, I was a one-person department who was simultaneously the federal lobbyist, the national political director, and 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 as the broader title, I was advising campaigns and candidates on how to talk about the issue. I was conducting trainings for for folks all the time. I was advising state chapter leaders on on their legislative strategies. You know, there 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 was you know I was regularly talking to members of the media. You know, by the end of the day, I might have talked about you know policy at local, state, and federal level, multiple multiple jurisdictions all over the place. Everything from Delta Eight to expungements to drug testing to to parental custody rights to you know everything. And and it just yeah. Canvas policy is complicated. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like I said, I commend the idea of this new bowl pack, and I love the name. Uh, it's it, that's just excellent the way the initials come out to spell bowl pack. Um, and and I wish you the best of luck. Where can people find this new pack if they want to get involved or if they want to donate or? Well, we we would love for folks to 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 uh, follow us, support our work. 
Uh, you can find us at thebullpack.org, and that's pack with just P-A-C. Um, and, and also on Twitter, we're The Bull Pack. On Facebook, The Bull Pack. Um, and, and, you know, right now we're, again, we're just in that base building. So get on the email list, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, share, you know, help us amplify our work. Um, we're going to make determinations based on how many races we get involved in uh, later in the summer. Um, so far, we, we've already had a couple hundred people chip in and, and we've, we've only sent one fundraising email out. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the average contribution is 14 bucks. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be taking a salary out of, out of bullpack. I'm, I'm doing a little political consulting on the side. Uh, and, and I want to be a good steward of people's money just in the same way I did it when with normal, um, and, and spend it as, as with surgical precision in the, in the races where it can be most effective. Yeah, that's, that's what's key it's got to be effective or what's the point right yeah no there, there there's no reason for me you know uh, uh chuck schumer's up for re-election this year he's 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 introducing this this big you know, marijuana package uh supposedly next month there's no reason for me to spend more spend a hundred thousand dollars supporting his re-election he will get re-elected yeah. right? just as just as the you know there there's some red states out there where I don't care how much marijuana money I could possibly spend. It's not going to change the outcome. But there's a handful of races for the U.S. Senate this year that could go either way. And if we can be a part of the coalition and if we can if we can do so in such a meaningful way where we can demand to not be ignored, it'll strike fear about the political future of prohibitionists. And it will, and and we need them to have to ask themselves the question: Am I willing to lose my my political future to protect the criminalization of marijuana? And and I think most politicians, if they ask themselves that question, the answer is no. I'm not willing to lose it for to for for criminalization for prohibition. No, but they're not forced to ask themselves that question, so they don't ask themselves that question. Yeah too busy and all the other things with all the big money interests. Sure. So we, we got to have a seat at that table. So yeah. I really appreciate the time and talk uh, and the ability to talk about it, Chris. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about it. Thank you. Looking forward to looking forward to talking again soon. Grant's Place, the podcast where I bring you the doctors, scientists, patients, politicians, and ordinary everyday people to talk about anything and everything with facts and first-hand reports so you can make your own decisions on important issues. Cannabis law reform, politics, criminal justice, government, and economics are just a few. As always, I thank you for listening and for your generous support.